you're online. I'm here at church talking to an empty room. I thought about wearing my pajamas today, kind of like Rachel and Brian were talking about, but instead I decided to go a more sparkly direction because it's New Year's Eve. That means it's time to celebrate. Tonight we can turn on our TVs and watch New Year's Eve parties from around the world filled with celebrities performing party anthems, sharing memories from the past year and their hopes for the year to come. We'll watch insane amounts of confetti fly and so many pairs of those like iconic glasses that show the year right in the lenses. I was introduced at a New Year's Eve party to the game Telestrations, right? That's where you draw something and then the next person guesses what you drew, write that, and then the next person guesses what they drew and so on. It's hilarious to me personally for New Year's and when you're wondering how in the world you can stay up and possibly hang out with people until all hours of the night. And I get that when I say that, I'm showing my age here. I just get really tired that late, and so a fun game helps keep my very short attention span. For those of you that maybe have kids or grandkids, something we did one year with some friends was we got one of those YouTube countdowns, and we played it for the kids at like 8.37 p.m. And that's a little bit of a hack, right? Because the kids got to celebrate the new year before 9 p.m., and we parents got to go home and put our kids in bed and not deal with the devastation that is parenting littles who still wake up at 6.30 a.m. no matter what time they go to bed. Heading into the new year is a great time for all kinds of parties. Guess who else loved parties? Jesus! Jesus loved parties, and we can read about Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that details his time on earth, which was often at meals and parties. His first miracle happened at a wedding reception where he transformed water into wine. Jesus loved to celebrate well. And the way he attends and hosts parties offers us an incredible example of hospitality and generosity. Today we're wrapping up our series on hospitality and generosity with a story appropriately timed for the celebration that is the new year, and that's with Jesus, at a party. As followers of Jesus, we're invited to imagine ourselves as both guests and hosts. Jesus helps us explore the significance of how we engage, host, accept invitations, and extend them to others. Biblical hospitality prompts us to examine our character, welcome strangers like friends, and notice how Jesus epitomized this through his love, service, suffering, and sacrifice for all of us. Today we're going to be looking at a party and a story about a party in Luke 14. And before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for your goodness in our lives. On the cusp that is a new year where maybe we have mixed emotions, closing out a year and starting a new one, God, we thank you for the fact that you are with us. You're never done with us. You're always inviting us into greater relationship with you. And so God, as we listen, as we reflect this morning, I pray that all of us would learn something. I pray that all of us would grow in our relationship with you and that we would maybe consider some things that we haven't considered in a while or ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be starting by taking a look at how hospitality flows out of our character. As we welcome in the new year, what else are many of us thinking about today? 
New Year's resolutions. These often revolve around vague goals like losing weight, exercising more, drinking less, eating healthier, getting more sleep, and reducing stress. We think about something we want to change and make a wide statement with no measurable goals and hope this year will be different than every year before it. Statistically speaking, we're going to fail again. 23% of people give up their New Year's resolutions by the end of the first week in January. By the end of January, that jumps to 43%. Maybe this year our resolutions can be less about what we can do better and our own self-imposed imperfections, and instead we can courageously ask God to examine our heart and character and invite him to do some deep, transformative work in our lives. Let's consider who and what is forming us. Today I want to suggest we skip making unrealistic New Year's resolutions and instead invite God to do the work of refining our lives as we assume the posture of a guest at a party. To give some context, Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house for a meal and let's see what he says starting in Luke 14. This is verses 7 through 11. Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. So he told them a story. He said, suppose someone invites you to a wedding feast. Do not take the place of honor. A person more important than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you. He will say, give this person your seat. Then you will be filled with shame. You will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. Then your host will come over to you. He will say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. Anyone who lifts himself up will be brought down, and anyone who is brought down will be lifted up. Let's start with what in the world Jesus is talking about here. He addresses the significance of where these guests position themselves at the table. And this is important because this was something that was called the patronage system. Back then, when you invited someone to a dinner, you did so with a motive in mind. Party invitations were very carefully considered. You invited people who would enhance or preserve your social status. This was a mutually a benefit agreement. Saying yes to a dinner invitation meant you were committing to returning the favor. Guests were seated at the table according to their level of relationship to the host. Those closest in relationship sat closest and so on down the table. And as these super important guests were specifically invited there to prop up their hosts, take a seat, we start to learn something about them. Where you sit matters both internally and externally. Jesus is inviting the guests to consider sitting further down the table from the host and in doing so, assume there are others at this party who are more important to the host than we are. He's inviting them into a posture of humility. As we imagine ourselves as guests looking up and down the table, as we pay attention to who is there and how they can benefit me and why they are sitting closer to the host than I am, what makes them so much better than me, Jesus is inviting them and us to take a look inside ourselves. What are we motivated by? Why do we do what we do? And is our culture all that different? Sometimes it's just the subtle pride we feel when we know someone's secret and we know someone else doesn't. 
How does it feel when we see our friends post about a get-together on the socials and immediately feel FOMO, wondering why they were included and not me? Or how about when I sneak past the person in line at the checkout and just keep looking at my phone, hoping others don't notice because I just want to get out of there? In a world focused on appearances and actions, Jesus challenges us to examine our motivations and intentions. Why we do what we do and think what we think impacts how genuinely we show up in the world around us. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verse 21, your heart will be where your riches are. We all want something. We're all driven by something. Jesus isn't saying it's bad to want something. He's asking us to consider if what we want matters here on earth or in heaven. When we interact with people with an idea of what we can get from them, that's self-indulgent. When we approach others with an attitude of really wanting to love and serve altruistically without a concern for what we get out of it, that's when we'll receive a kingdom kind of honor with an eternal value. Colossians 3:23 says, "Work at everything you do with all your heart. Work as if you were working for the Lord and not for human masters." Hand in hand with Jesus, we can approach life with a sense of humility instead of seeking personal glory or recognition. Are you the same person when you're with your friends as you are with your coworkers or with strangers or even people you don't like? How about your dog? This is a personal one for me, guys. I can be so kind to the humans, but my dog gets the brunt of my frustration. My dog just needs to go outside and go to the bathroom at 10.30 p.m. every single night when I'm just trying to get into bed. Right before bed, that's when I'm at my absolute worst. Many of us don't have the things we want because we haven't considered that maybe everyone else isn't the problem. If I'm the one at the center of the drama that is broken relationships and a need for more, maybe it's my heart and not other people, our economy or our political leaders that are the problem. Maybe it's not them, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me, Swifties, you knew where I was going with that. Jesus cares about our character and not our achievements, our posture and not our position. As we head into the new year, let's invite God to examine our hearts. Again, why do we do what we do? As Brian just talked about, we're heading into a new series next week about our character, and we'll walk through the fruits of the Spirit over the next six weeks. Maybe commit to attending church or listening to those messages and asking God to examine your character. Let's commit to the hard work of looking internally instead of looking up and down the table. As we consider hospitality through the lens of a guest, we can ask God to examine our hearts and show us how we can honor others instead of ourselves. Our posture, our character matter. Now let's consider what we can learn about ourselves through the lens of a party host. Part of biblical hospitality means welcoming people into our homes and lives, treating strangers as valued guests, and watching God turn some of them into friends. The church I grew up at back in Cincinnati with my family did something called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And it was 
named pretty well because that's exactly what happened. You had someone sign up to host the meal and then those would sign up to attend and they'd bring a different course. So if you hosted, you had the main dish and if you were attending, you had a different one of the courses. I absolutely loved this. My parents hosted one year and I remember sitting at the window looking out the, at the driveway, watching and wondering who is coming in, who's coming to our house. Some of the people we do, we knew, some of them we didn't. And so it was this fun gathering of this group of people that we would have never otherwise put together. What was so great about that is even people today are still in my parents' lives. I actually saw some of the people that came to this dinner just this summer when we went back to celebrate my mom's birthday. God can bring unexpected people in our homes and in surprising ways we can find friendships in unlikely places. Let's see what Jesus has to say as we imagine ourselves as the host of this party. We're going to be looking at 14, Luke 14, 12 through 14. Then Jesus spoke to his host. Suppose you give a lunch or a dinner, he said. Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you to eat with them, so you will be paid back. But when you give a big dinner, invite those who are poor. Also invite those who can't walk, the disabled, the blind. Then you will be blessed. Your guests can't pay you back, but you will be paid back when those who are right with God rise from the dead. In the patronage society of Jesus' days, inviting those who were poor or experiencing homelessness would mean a major breakdown of the social hierarchy. You only asked people who could return the favor. If you invited people of a lower class to your party, you'd risk your reputation and social status. And that's what you'd lose in this world, but in verse 14, Jesus says we'll be blessed. Hospitality means we welcome people into the places we live our lives, treat strangers like we want to be treated, and because of God's divine intervention in the cosmic guess who's coming to dinner adventure of our lives, some of these humans we invite over will become true friends. When we do this, we knock down stereotypes and expectations and even who we think we will be friends with and instead open up the gates to see who God might unexpectedly be bringing into our lives. How do we host like this? Maybe for multiple reasons, you can't have folks over where you live. Where else do you spend time? Invite someone out for coffee or to your favorite restaurant. The next time you're at church, maybe instead of sitting on the right side of the auditorium, you could sit on the left side and meet someone new. Or you could invite someone you meet at church out to lunch and pay for them. Do you have a decent living space? Ask God who you can invite over. Invite that person you keep seeing over and over again. It might not be a coincidence that you keep noticing them after all. And maybe you could, some of you could even invite someone to live in your house. A friend of mine hosted some students at her home over the summer. Could you consider doing something like that? If we are hosting someone who doesn't go to church, we could invite them into our living space instead of church as a first step. We so want people to come to church and experience what we experience, and we hope that our favorite preacher will be talking and that they'll have a powerful encounter with God, that we become forever friends with Jesus, and we'll go to church together and live happily ever after. 
And to be clear, that's like a great thing to want. But from my experience, people usually don't begin a relationship with God because of a well-laid-out talk and a great outline with three compelling points. For those of you keeping track, we're on point two. So got one more. I don't think loads of people believe simply by hearing a message. They believe because they spend time with those of us who believe and get to experience love and acceptance and generosity that is radically different from what they find in the rest of the world. Consider inviting someone into your space first. How else can we practice hospitality? You can host a small group. We have small groups beginning again in February. You can invite folks into your home or to a coffee shop or bar or somewhere at your school. I know a group of students from Hermantown who meet in a high school classroom every Tuesday morning for a Bible study. If you host a group at a restaurant, coffee shop, or bar, please support their business and tip well. That's also practicing hospitality and generosity. You can maybe volunteer on the hospitality team here at church. We're online today to say thank you to the generous group of people who make our services happen each week. We have about 75 folks who help out every Sunday. Consider greeting people as they walk in, helping with offering or in the coffee bar. Some of you have wondered why the coffee bar hasn't been opened as much recently. It's because we could use some great folks to help make some specialty drinks. Come join the team. If you're lonely, if you could really use some friends, find a way to serve someone and humbly offer hospitality. When we take time to care for others, our lives are filled with joy and satisfaction. Two of my closest friends came from serving in a classroom together downstairs in Vineyard Kids. Or how about this? Let's make it really timely. What are you doing to celebrate tonight? It's a great chance to host some people. Break out some games, confetti, grab some snacks, your favorite dessert, get to know some people, laugh, have some fun. Jesus invites us to host strangers and with a mindset of altruism, we get to watch some of them become unexpected blessings in our lives. But why will we do this? Why give without expecting anything in return? Why invite people we hardly know into our sacred spaces? Because that's what Jesus did for each of us. After addressing the host, Jesus responds to a dinner guest who says in verse 15, One of the people at the table with Jesus heard him say these things. So he said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in God's kingdom. And Jesus is like, okay, let's talk about that feast in God's kingdom. And so he shares this parable beginning in verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a big dinner. He invited many guests. Then a day of the dinner arrived. He sent his servant to those who had been invited. The servant told them, come. Everything is ready now. But they all had the same idea. They began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field. I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the town. Bring in those who are poor. Also bring those who can't walk, the blind and the disabled. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. 
but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, go out to the country lanes, make the people come in. I want my house to be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my dinner. Let's take a look at who gets invited to this party. Someone just fought a field, can't come. Another person has to take care of some oxen, can't come. Another one just got married and can't come. Jesus picks these people because they were all people who would normally be invited to a dinner party. Again, the patronage system. These guests were people of means, they were rich, and they all have excuses why they can't attend this banquet. Parables are stories that reveal something else, kind of like a metaphor. To explain this parable, let's consider another story Jesus tells earlier in Luke chapter 8. He uses seeds, soil, rocks, and the sun to describe different kinds of humans. He explains that the seed in this metaphor is God's message of good news to the world. In Luke 8:14, Jesus paints a picture of this kind of in-crowd party decliner. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear the message. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. So they do not reach full growth. Their treasure isn't in heaven, it's here on earth. Snubbed by his original guest, the host is still determined to have a party. The host doesn't say, invite the poor, the lame, the blind. He says in verse 21 to bring them in. Culturally, those in a lower class couldn't accept an invitation to a party because they didn't have anything to offer in return. The host doesn't invite them. They swing the doors open and usher them in. This metaphorical party shows us that in the kingdom of God, it is fully open to everyone. And there is nothing any of us can do to ever pay that back. If we were to place ourselves as a character in this parable, where would we most least want to be? In the kingdom of God economy, we are all the poor, the lame, and the blind. At the great heavenly party that puts Times Square on New Year's Eve to shame, we are nothing and have nothing to give. We can't offer anything in return for what's been done for us through Jesus. How does Jesus offer hospitality? Jesus goes to lots of parties and has meals with lots of people. In his very first miracle, he turned water into wine. At another dinner, he washed his disciples' feet. And Jesus says this in John 14, verses 2 through 4, There are many rooms in my Father's house. If this were not true, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and do that, I will come back, and I will take you to be with me then you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. The only way we could get invited to the eternal all-you-can-eat buffet is if Jesus was thrown out. He was crucified, naked, on a hill, murdered on a cross for our sins so we could be lavishly welcomed in. Jesus' death means we're ushered in and welcomed from strangers to family. Jesus' sacrificial acts, his homelessness, his death, ensures we're brought to the never-ending, all-inclusive, guess who's coming to dinner party that is heaven. Through his resurrection, he is the one transforming our lives and preparing a party for us. And that party 
will blow every other party out of the water. It is going to be epic. This passage is about way more than hosting or going to a party. It's about who we are, why we do what we do, how we treat each other and what we have to offer. Instead of starting the new year, kicking ourselves and swearing that this year we'll do better, what if instead we shifted our focus to the one who can actually change us for the better? Getting in touch with God's miraculous hospitality means we are the ones with nothing to offer. He does everything. As we begin 2024, let's consider inviting God to examine our own character, our own pride, and the ways we think that what we have here on earth is what matters most. As we come to terms with how Jesus has radically hosted us and welcomed us in, we have an opportunity to decide how we're going to respond to his amazing hospitality and generosity in our lives. So we're going to transition uh, to ministry time. So if you join us here on a regular basis, you know that this is an opportunity for us to simply respond. Maybe as I was talking, there were some words that resonated or something that like you just felt something internally, or maybe there's a thought that feels like it just popped into your mind. There's a chance that God's maybe up to something there. Or how about this? How do we feel? heading into 2024? Do we feel hopeful, discouraged, excited, mad? Why is that? We all have things going on in our lives that don't just reset as the calendar resets tomorrow. What's currently happening that leaves us feeling overwhelmed or alone? What were you hoping God would change and it didn't happen in 2023. I'm going to take a second and pray for us. God, it's so easy for us to miss what you're up to in our lives. We can rush from thing to thing, and maybe even today we are just so hoping that this day will just be over so 2023 will finally be over. God, I pray that each of us, maybe even now, could take a deep breath and get present to what's happening internally. God, how are you examining our character? Where are you maybe tapping on our shoulder and inviting us into something unexpected so that we can be blessed in ways we hadn't anticipated before? God, some of us really need healing. <laughs> Would you meet us there? Some of us hear and know, maybe in our mind, that you're good. But we really could use an experience of that. What's happening for you right now? How are you feeling? What's God highlighting? I want to invite you to consider maybe how you're being invited to respond. If you're joining us live online right now, we have our pastoral staff on the, on, the, on the chat, and you can get prayer by simply hitting the prayer button. Whether it's some things I've mentioned, whether it's other things, they'd love to pray for whatever is going on in your life as we head into the new year. 
Thank you so much. I hope you're all cozy in your jammies, and we're really glad you joined us online today.